0: Welcome to The Well Podcast. We pray that this message ministers to you and blesses you as you listen. Wow, there's a lot, lot going on in our world, um, in our lives, <laughs> and we can get caught up in a whirlwind of all of the things that that are going on around us, and one of the um a couple of weeks ago, when I had an opportunity to share with you, God uh, led me to speak on meology versus kingdomology. So I just want to recap a minute, just a couple of little points that came out of that. So um, when we become part, when we receive Christ as our Savior, we become part of God's kingdom. So our citizenship is essentially transferred from the citizenship of this world to the citizenship of heaven. So if you were to come here from another country and you wanted to become a citizen in the United States, there would be a process that you go through to do that. And that process then means that you essentially give up your rights to the other country to which you are a part of. And you then take up citizenship and rights. You make an oath in a declaration to fight for and support um, the, co- the government in this country. Um, it's a much more bigger process than that, but in a couple of seconds, that's what happens. Well, it's kind of the same thing when we become followers of Christ and we become a citizen of heaven, that we have laid down our citizenship here on earth And we have taken up citizenship in heaven. That sounds kind of out there, but it's the facts. And the longer that we try to live in both worlds, um, we have a wonderful family that lives part of the year in Panama and part of the year in the United States. And it's a bit of a struggle back and forth all the time. But he calls us to certain seasons, and that's what we do when he calls us to those particular things. But to, be, to try to be a part of two worlds at the same time will cause conflict and it will create compromise. And one of those rulers are going to become greater than the other. Your allegiance is going to be greater for one than it is for the other. It's just what happens. You cannot serve two masters, is what scripture says. You cannot serve two masters. So sometimes... In our culture, we like to serve ourselves, and that's that's the term I use for meology. It's that process of us doing what we will for ourselves. And I shared with you a, cup, a couple of danger fields, maybe a couple of moments of reflection. Hey, am I am I living part of my time over here in meology, or am I living my life in kingdomology in the kingdom of heaven? And a couple of those danger fields was if your time in the word is more about you scanning scripture or the internet to find scriptures to support your way of thinking instead of scanning scripture for the renewing of your mind, then you may be trapped in myology. So we all know our, our social media pages are usually a, a very clear picture of this because we, we create these echo chambers around us. We surround ourselves with people that think like we do. They like the same things that we do, like uh, during COVID. We got a puppy. It was this cute little Bernie doodle. She was so cute and sweet. She's wild now. Very, anyway, we won't even talk about it. But during COVID, I was like, I don't want to hear about COVID every day, all day. And so I filled up my page with doodles. Every time I opened social media, there was a cute little snout with this curly-headed little puppy dog looking back at me right? (laughs) Because I have the right, someone who will remain nameless likes to watch cat videos about weird cats that do weird things. And you can fill up your social media. You can take that in all day long, every day. (laughs) I'm not going to out you, but I saw what you posted earlier this week. It was so funny, actually. Valerie, I don't remember that dog. It was so hilarious. Anyway, so <laughs> I did out her after I said I wasn't going to, but then I didn't want you to feel bad like I saw something that was like reprobate on your Facebook page or social media. But anyway, um, so, so we can create these echo chambers where we hear the same voices that are speaking the same thing that we want to hear back to us, all about us and our interests. And I'm not saying that that's all bad and that's all wrong, because we do need to be fueled. Like, I want to fill up my social media with things that encourage me and build me up and edify me and and lift me up. That's what I want. I want it to be a place where, uh, when I go there, that that's what I see. I don't want to see a bunch of negative stuff. Anybody else? Like, you know, there's enough negativity. But um, But... That being said, we have to be careful that we don't create this environment where we are just catering to the will of ourself, that we're just catering to the flesh. Here's another one. If you find yourself in discussions where you need to be right, you might be living in the world of meology. If that is your goal when you have a discussion with someone that you think that your way is the right way all the time, then you might be stuck in meology. You might need to Allow God to examine your motive in that. What is your motive for that? Is that self-serving? What is that? What are you hoping to seek from that conversation in that interaction? If you spend more time when you're gathered in community picking apart the people around you and thinking about yourself as opposed to being focused on the one who created you, you may be trapped in myology. That's a hard one. But we can't pick each other apart. We're all part of the same body. We all have use and purpose. We are all needed. We would not say to the eye that we have no use of you, right? We need every part of the body. And we need to encourage and we need to edify. We need to lift each other up. And when one falls, we need to go over and lift them up and bring them along, put them in the middle of the herd and protect them and keep them. That's what we do. That's what we should do. I'm not saying that we do any different. In this family, I'm just saying that. And then, if you think that you always know best and have to be right, you may suffer from eology. Now, what does kingdomology look like? There's just a couple of these. Kingdomology looks like you before me. Him before me. It looks like a life laid down to pick up all that he had. That means the way that I see things, the way that I think, the things that I entertain, the, the way that I live my life, the people that I interact with, that I, surround, that I come into community with, like Katie was talking about when she was praying. That we create a family of people where you're before me. I lay down my life for you. I surrender my will In community. Surrender would be the, I just said them all, laying down one's life. Surrender. And I need to acknowledge that I may not know everything. Which is pretty true. I live in a house with a lot of smart people, so. My brain is not the size of theirs. But we need to realize That we may not always know what's best, but that God does. He knows what's best. And if we're continuing to try to manipulate a situation or we're continuing to try to work our way in a situation, we're never going to be able to allow God to work in the situation, in our life, the way that He desires to. And He does desire to work. And so I've been struggling a little bit with today's message because I feel like there are a lot of pieces that I believe he wants you to know, that he wants me to share with you. And so the scripture in Proverbs 21, did you pull it up? So in Proverbs 21, verse one, it says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. All right, and then take us to Revelation, the scripture in Revelation. Okay, so can you, do you have verse 5 by chance? I know I didn't give it to you. Uh-huh. So I'm just going to start with the second sentence. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, will you go back to Proverbs? Uh, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. So our identity, now that we're part of the kingdom, it is a kingdom, it's a monarchy, there's a king that sits on a throne and we're seated in heavenly places beside him, that we are now kings and priests. That's what Revelation is saying. So then if you take that perspective, if you can understand that we are part of a kingdom, and you take that perspective and you look then at Proverbs, it says that a king's heart who is in the hand of the Lord can be shifted and moved. So that it won't be like it says in verse 2. So that it won't be us looking and thinking that everything is right in our own eyes. And that God weighs the heart. So I've heard this scripture in my spirit and I went to um, really find out where... Where else this is talked about in Scripture? And it took me to the book of Judges. Well, that's a fun book. Oh. And it's actually, this term is used a number of times in the book of Judges. And I'm going to summarize because it's got a lot, 21 chapters. So we're not going to do all that this morning. <laughs> but a number of times in that, um, in that book, it says... Just finding my scripture so I can quote it to you. In Joshua and Nathaniel, did you pull that one up? So there were these twelve judges. So Joshua dies. He's taken. So he's. Ta- I'm going to just summarize this in Beckyology a little bit, just in my terminology. Um, so have fun with this narrative. We'll see how I do. Uh, so Joshua has been able to bring the children of Israel into the to Canaan land. So they have made it to the promised land, the place to which that they had been promised. Joshua brings them in, and at some point, Joshua dies. So once they come in, anytime God allowed, I mean, almost any, and I'm not an Old Testament scholar, so if, if I make it too general of a statement there and say in any time, but I would say most of the time, anytime God gave land or territory to the Israelites, he would most often say, go in and destroy everything. Destroy everything from the previous kingdom. There should be nothing left. Get rid of it all, which seems really heavy, right? But that's what he said, like, get rid of everything, because he wanted to establish his kingdom. He wanted to establish his rule. And so, but what happens in a world of myology is that we think we know what's right. And so then we create a kingdom of ourselves. And so Joshua brought this group of people in, but guess what they didn't do? They didn't destroy everything in Canaan. They left some of the ites to run around. I'm not even going to try to name all of them. Y'all know who they are. We've all read them in scripture. (laughs) They left a few. I'm even going to reference that to say they left a little bit of sin in the camp. And that wasn't what God wanted. And so Joshua has passed away. There's no... This is the judges is during the season of 400 years of no king for the Israelites. They're without a ruler. So God implements this process of these judges. And these judges are put into place. There were 12 of them. And each one of them, as the disciple, as the Israelites, would fall away from God. It was this process. The people would fall into sin and idolatry, that's step one, then that would grieve God. It would grieve him that they were choosing not to follow him, that they were following meology, what they wanted, living the way that they think is right in their thoughts, in their way of being. And that really is the root of meology, is man thinking that that we know what's right. And I think we could probably look around at culture and see that we've not done a very good job of following our own ideas. Of what we think is right and so then God is grieved and then he allows the oppression of the enemy to come in because God's heart is always to lead people back to him and if we have this sometimes and I've been there I struggled with I have struggled with it earlier in my walk when I didn't fully understand the character and nature of God we want to say well how could God do that how could God do that to those people How could he allow me to walk through this? How could he allow this to happen? Why would anything bad happen to me? What kind of God would allow this kind of stuff to happen? And Wade and I were just having a discussion this morning um, about, you know, the times where it's the enemy tempting us and when it's times that God is allowing things in our life to pull us back towards him. Right, Bev? There are those seasons. There are both. We can see accounts of it over and over and over and over again in Scripture. And so the oppression of the enemy comes in. The reason that God allows that is because just like he did with Pharaoh and the ten plagues, he was trying to get Pharaoh to release the children of Israel. And he would not respond. And so sometimes God had to be a little heavier-handed. And put us in, anybody ever been in a desperate situation where you're like, I I got, it's like, you know, we'll waller a little while, we'll, we'll play with it, the thing, whatever it is we're struggling with or dealing with. And then all of a sudden it's like pressure comes in on every side. And then all of a sudden, what do we do? We start crying out to God, oh God, save me. And that's exactly what he was trying to create in the book of Judges. A scenario where the people of God would cry out to him and that they would turn from their ways and choose him. So he wanted the repentance. So they would walk through these really hard situations because he was always after their heart. Remember what it said in Proverbs? Because he knows the motive of the heart. And sometimes we're really good at the actions, like playing the part, doing the things, doing what we know to be right, but our heart is far from him. And then like it says, when we stand before him and he says, says department from me because I never knew you. And they'll be like, you'll be like, we'll be like. <laughs> but I did all these things in your name. I casted out demons. I healed the sick. I fed the poor. And he said, but you never knew me. You never knew me. Because he's always been after your heart. Guard your heart above above all else, for out of it flow the issues of life. He's after the heart. Because a king or a queen in the kingdom that knows who they are, because we're kings and priests, then he can deal with our heart. He can shift us and move us. He can move us away from those danger areas and shift us away from that. So then repentance comes. Then he would bring in a judge. And that word judge, um, let me get it right. I have so much in my head right now, I'm just trying to follow the leading of the Spirit. That word judge is not like a judicial judge. It's not the the thing that we're used to in our democracy and the way that we run the republic and the democracy that we live in. It is not that kind of thing. This judge was considered a deliverer or a savior. They came in to defeat the enemy. And to help to refocus and reset the children of Israel once again. Until it happened again. But that was their goal. To come in and deliver them from the enemy. Because the heart had been made right. Repentance had taken place. They had recognized their need. So sometimes God will allow us to walk through things to pull us to him. To pull us back to Him. If He has found us wayward or struggling, just like Jonah, Jonah had to spend a few days in the belly of that well before he was willing to surrender to the will of God. And it's not fun to think about the hard things that we have to walk through, but they're not without purpose. He has a mission and a goal. Because he's after your heart. He's after your heart to establish a kingdom. So, the God of Canaan was Baal. And Baal and the Asher, Asherah, but they're all about idols. And really, that's. That's what's at the root of meology, is we've made ourselves an idol. We've made our ideas, our thoughts, our ways, idols. Because an idol is anything that we put before God. And so Baal, there's a couple of things that's very interesting about The God of Baal, or the religion of Baal. It's full of death, for one. In Judges, it talks about the fact that in the religion of Baal, they would sacrifice babies, they would sacrifice children. It was very sexually driven. Anything goes. And so then here the Israelites come into this promised land that they've been promised, but they're leaving another king on the throne. They've not destroyed Baal. So then Baal infiltrates everything that God is trying to do. They're serving two gods. Now they're mingling with the others that are serving Baal. They're unequally yoked. They're not walking in unity with God. There's still a spirit of Baal on this earth. And in this attempt, he is calling us and drawing us to purify ourselves Because he is looking for a bride without spot or blemish. And that is not something that I can do for you. And you cannot do it for me. But you have to be willing to lay down your life to pick up his. We have to be willing to sacrifice Baal, to surrender all of that, the idols, We have to be willing to lay it all down to pick up the kingdom of heaven. And yet we fight that tooth and nail because we think we know better. Why else would we not surrender those things in our life? Why would we not give it up for him? He sent his son, the final savior. The 12 judges couldn't do it because they were flawed. They were flawed humans. And every one of them failed. But we were waiting for the true deliverer that would come, Jesus, who would deliver us from our sin, from our shame, to establish his kingdom here. So it wouldn't become about works, although faith without works is dead. And that's the faith to allow him to do the work inside of us that he wills to do and through us that he desires to do. So I'm making a little bit of a transition here only because... I need to share a dream with you that I had. And it's graphic. As a matter of fact, when I first had the dream, I thought, this is not from God. I was like, cleanse my mind, Holy Spirit, you know. Like, I don't want to see this. But you will never hear me preach a political message But today I am going to talk about the spirit of Baal. Do you know what Baal's offspring is? Jezebel. And if you read in Revelation, she's still, that spirit, it's not a male or a female. It is a spirit. Our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities. And that spirit of Baal is still alive on this earth, just like the Israelites, they were not willing to cleanse, to cleanse the community of all the sin. And it was able to infiltrate and create offspring and to be alive. And it will twist culture. That spirit will twist culture. And it's this idea that I know best. I don't want to tell you who to be. You know who you want to be, what you want to be, what you want to do with your body, who you want to sleep with, who you don't want to sleep with, who you want to be today or maybe tomorrow. And I'm not taking that lightly. I'm just telling you how twisted that the spirit of Baal can be. Because then we think that we know best in our own eyes. And all it's doing is it's killing the seed the seed that God wants to come forth to help build his kingdom. So a couple, it's been a couple months and I've just held on. Honestly, I I was like, Lord, is this a ministry? Is this, I've had conversations with a number of you all. I mean, conversations after conversations. I think I even said it when I got a chance to share this message a few weeks ago and that there is such an attack on the generation, on the generation that we are about to destroy a whole generation of people within our own world. We're about to create our own genocide because we won't choose Christ. We won't choose to allow him to purify our temple. We won't allow ourselves to go through the process of purification and lay down the idols in our life. We won't lay down the fact that we think that we know better than God does. Because it just feels better. It just feels better for me to follow what feels good to me. And that's not what he has got such a better plan for your life. He has such a better plan for your life. I know that right now when we get all caught up in the way we feel in the moment and trying to understand who we are and what we need, we just want to follow that. But it's, but it's a lie of the enemy to tell you that that is counterfeit to what God has for you. It is a counterfeit of what he has for you. He loves you. He sent a deliverer to set us free. And yet we continue to pick up the ways of the world. And he's looking to purify us. Those ten virgins, and I'm going to tell you the dream in a minute. I'm not in a hurry to tell you because it's not pleasant. Those ten virgins, five of them had oil in their lamp. Five of them did not. But they had a flame. And that oil is rooted in intimacy. In order for us to have oil, we have to have intimacy. You can't give me your intimacy. That intimacy comes from you spending time with the bridegroom. You being in the word and in prayer and allowing that oil to saturate who you are. And so when those virgins, those five Looked at those others who were saying, who wouldn't? If you asked me for a loaf of bread or my jacket, my shoes, I would give them to you like that. I, I wouldn't think about <laughs> I wouldn't think one second about it. I'd give you anything that I can. But you can't give me your oil and I can't give you mine. I can't. They weren't being rude to tell those five virgins that didn't have oil that they couldn't You can't have mine. It's not transferable. Here we go talking about birth again. But that's intimacy. Being known. A seed is implanted. And it brings forth life. And so to be intimately connected to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is where our oil comes from. And so I believe that he is trying to bring to light the way that we have played with it. We play with compromise. Why can't it just be okay? Are we going to hurt less people if we just let it be all right? But are we? Are we? Are we just creating more issues? When I sit with my children who are now adults, they're in the adult world, and this is completely transparent. I don't know if we need to put this out on the Internet or not, but I'm just going to be as transparent with you as I can, and I'm having conversations with them. About their potential spouses or who they'll date or who they'll marry. And we go through the questions of like, like not whether you want to have children or whether you want to live here or whether you want to live there. And I say this in love. But it's confusing. Instead... You're going to have to say, Are you on hormone blockers? Are you what I see before me? Who are you? And it's interesting because if you look at the wealthy, most people will tell you that wealth is gone in three generations. Isn't that right, Wade? Three generations? He's the brains, you know. Three generations. There's the first one that creates the wealth. And the second generation recognizes the cost that it was to create the wealth. But the time the third generation or fourth generation gets there, they've lost the value of what it cost to create the wealth. And then it is no more. The value is gone. So it's the same if you look at the story of the Israelites. See, the whole generation had to pass before they could even enter the promised land because God already knew that they wouldn't value. Their hearts weren't right. They wouldn't value the cost. And so I didn't look this all up, so I'm just going on my remembrance and my experience. But, you know, we have these generations now where they're passing they're getting older and we're about to lose that generation but we have a generation of people that have walked through the great depression and they knew what it was like to have nothing nothing and then they began to have families and children and they wanted better they wanted more for them and so they worked really hard And Wade used to know all the names of all these generations. The builders. That was the builder generation. They began to build things because it had all been lost. And then we step into the baby boomer generation that came after that. And they watched how hard their families and their parents worked to build from nothing. And so they valued what had been built. But then the next generation comes along and then the next generation comes along. And by the time we get there, we have parents that are raising kids that are saying, just be and do whatever you want because life had gotten a little bit easier. Choose your own path, wherever, whatever direction you want to go. The value of what had been created has been lost. And that leads us then to a wayward generation where we're afraid to tell them, to point them true north. We walk, we worked in youth ministry. Middle school has got to be the hardest season of life, right, Gatie? So hard, wayward. Being raised by parents that's not willing to give them direction or point them in any direction at all. They don't know who they are, where they want to go. Nothing. So much struggle, especially for our young girls. Seem like they struggled so much with identity. Just waiting for a world to tell them who they are. And when they look at the reflection of who the world tells them they should be, they don't want to be that. They don't want to be looked at as a piece of meat, as an object. Why would I want to be that? And so I won't. was so hard because it's such a beautiful thing, relationship, community. And there's such an attack against it, against our intimacy, against our intimacy, which was our very first commandment in the garden. To reproduce in many, many ways. We've forgotten what it said even before that that we were created in the image of God. We were created in His image. So I had this dream. My family and I were walking into this funeral. And I noticed this young woman walking in and I I could tell by looking she had blonde hair, kind of curly. And I remember she caught my eye, she caught my attention. And so I kind of was, you know, noticing where she was going and what was happening. And so she goes into the building. And for some reason, I found myself off in this holding room. It was like down a stair off to the side. And I was sitting in these chairs up against the wall. And there was this service taking place inside of the building. And the door, there's a door that led into like a sanctuary, some kind of chapel. There was a door that led into that, and the door opened, and she walked through the door. And there was a little step like this, and she stepped down the steps. And she began to, she needed to change her clothes. And she began to change her clothes. And I started to turn away, you know, like a shouldn't be here kind of thing. Like, hello, I'm here, (laughs) you know. And I noticed that she had scars on her chest where her breast had been augmented, removed. And before I knew it, she was standing before me naked. And her body did not match. There were parts of her that were male and female. It was so upsetting. Because we had allowed her to grow up in a culture that wasn't willing to tell her who she was. To tell her how valuable she was. And she allowed a culture to change her from what God had created her to be. One of her friends came in. Was the same thing. We are strategically killing a generation by our unwillingness to speak to who they are and to protect them. We have an obligation as followers of Christ not to condemn but to protect and to love and to set them right on the right path. I don't know where else to go right this minute, but... Scripture. Nate, did I give you the Scripture of 2 Chronicles? I'm sure you guys can mostly quote it with me. But it says, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. And seek my face, I will heal their land. It's about us first. Wade has often said that passage of scripture really gets him because we like to quote that part, but we forget to look ahead and see what situation they were really in when that, that verse was written, and they were in a battle. God is shaking everything that can be shaken until all that is left is spirit. And you may feel that really close to you. It may be shaking you on the inside, but it also may be shaking you on the outside. If you look in Hebrews chapter 12, I love the second half of that chapter because it talks about being a citizen of heaven. But I didn't notice until I was reading the first part of that, that it really talks about the repentance in the first part of chapter 12. Because before we can enter into his presence, our heart has to be right. And we've got to lay down the things that we think are right and pick up the ideas in the way of Christ. Because we're killing people by not. It's incredibly selfish of us to have been given an opportunity to speak life and to think that we're smarter than God. I was having a discussion with Nathaniel. I like to talk to him about culture and stuff and and you know just really trying to gain understanding and we were talking about identity and i said you know the thing is is that once that body is buried in the ground it can be and i don't know how long it takes for bones to decompose so but it could be tens of hundreds of years like it could be years and years and years and years and years, and years. Hundreds of years. And that DNA, that marker, is still in those bones. And it will say, it will speak to identity. It'll speak to identity. But we have to be willing to do the same. Not in the hand of condemnation, but in the hand of love. We need to... Help right the wrong. He's already sent the deliverer. Jesus. And we've got to point them to Jesus. No matter what condition. Because while some people may carry scars on the outside, there are many of us that carry scars on the inside. Because we are broken and undone without a savior. Israel had no king, and over and over, they chose to do what was right in their own eyes. But we have a king, and it's real clear what he has for us, if we'll follow his kingdom and his plan, and we'll begin to declare life. I haven't got all the pieces figured out, but I will say that this is connected to keys and access. That Some of you know the voice, that you're, some of you are called to intercession, and I'll tell you there's nothing that can surpass intercession, prayer, because prayer changes things. But through the keys of intimacy, the keys of David, also comes authority, and we've been given those keys And we have access, governmental access of a kingdom, a monarchy, who has one king, not two, one king sitting on the throne. No help, one king. And whatever keys he has given you to access, then you need to use those. This is another message for another time, but you'll probably hear it again because he's working it through me. We want to ascend the mountain of the Lord. In Psalms 24, will you pull up that passage? Did I give you that one? All right, look at me. God claims the world as his. As what? As his. Whose? His. Not a spirit of Baal. But God claims the world as his. Everything and everyone belongs to him. He's the one who pushed back the oceans and let the dry ground appear, planting firm foundations for the earth. Who then ascends into the presence of the Lord? And who has the privilege of entering into God's holy place? Those who are clean, whose works and ways are pure, whose hearts are true and sealed by the truth. Those who never deceive And whose words are sure. They will receive the Lord's blessing and righteousness given by the Savior God. They will stand before God for they seek the pleasure of God's face. They seek the pleasure of his what? His face. The God of Jacob. Selah. Who shall ascend? That takes us back to the beginning in Proverbs 21. Let's read it one more time. Lucas, would you mind just giving me some music? (laughs) I know it's heavy. I know it's heavy. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Even if you think it, we can be wayward in the way we see things. But if our heart is right, if he is the king of our heart, if he is our king, then he can adjust and make the changes that need to be made in order for us to see him rightly and to understand who we are but that we are kings and priests, sons and daughters first. We are, we are. We don't want our children and our grandchildren and to be, we're already paying the price of a generation. We need to own some things, people, for not staying on the wall when we should have. And our children are paying the price. Let's turn our heart to God. And humble ourselves. Not think so highly of ourselves that we're not willing to look and take inventory. Of what we need to own. And then start walking in the way of righteousness. Will you stand with me? You know, God speaks to us in many, many ways. And I'm certain it's sometimes really easy for us to say, but the, and I'll just use this as an example and I'll use a couple of others, but why isn't the church doing this? Or why aren't they, why isn't that person doing that? Why isn't Wade and Becky doing this? Or why isn't Katie worshiping like that and it's so easy for us to shift blame when he's all put a call and a demand on us and I'm responsible for my oil and my lamp and you are responsible for yours and I declare that Molly will not grow up in a world That doesn't tell her how valuable she is. That Elias and Audrey don't know who they are. Because we will tell them. We will tell them who they are. Who God created them to be. That they have intrinsic value. Don't be afraid to speak life over this generation. Don't back down from that. Don't stop praying. Just as broken as we were. We're going to have a big generation of lost sons and daughters that are going to come back in. And they're going to be broken. And they're going to have scars and wounds. But we know a God that's going to put them back together just as he intended them to be. And he's going to love them back into his arms. So today I feel like we're being commissioned. To do what it is that we can do and be aware and to not allow a spirit of Baal to continue to plague our culture. And it does start with prayer because we need direction. We need direction. Our way is not the right way. His ways are better than our ways. It might seem right to us, but it isn't. It isn't. If he hasn't spoken it or it's not written in his word. We can't throw out the things that we don't like to embrace the things that feel good to us. So Honestly, I think what I feel like we should do, I'm not sure what time it is, but can we just take a few minutes? You know, repentance is a tricky word. We want to use it. We've used it in a lot of ways over the years. And, and it is changing, like going in this direction and then changing to go in the other direction. But it is a changing of the way you think. It is a renewing. Repentance is a renewing of us. A renewing of our mind. Because I can change direction and still be the same person I was walking the other way. I can look one way on the outside and be completely different on the inside. So I just feel like in a moment, can we just, look, being really frank, we have an election coming up in a few weeks. And there is a proposal on the ballot. Look, I am not fully versed in all this. But if you have questions, it is. And I know the church has, the pendulum has swung from side to side, whether to be involved in the process or not be involved in the process. But we do have a responsibility because we are part to be in the world, but not of the world, to speak. And our vote allows us to do that. Because as we can see, it does shift culture. It does make an impact. And so we need to be aware of those types of things that are there. Again, I am not fully informed. Do not come to me to answer all of your questions. I hate politics. I'll just be flat honest. I have no use for them. That's my personal opinion. But I care a lot about the kingdom that we're trying to establish on this earth. And I know what kind of world I want my children and my children's children and my children's children to grow up in. And one way I can impact that is by my vote and by my prayer and by accessing governmentally the things that God has given me access to in the kingdom. We want to thank you for listening in today. At The Will, we believe in cultivating a culture for more of God. Wherever you are in your relationship and walk with God, we believe that there is always more for those who diligently seek after Him. If you would like to find out more, please check out our website at thewellmichigan.com and connect with us on social media.